morning. I was uh, traveling since last week to, to visit some supporting churches and individuals and some alumni. And so I left Anderson and I, I came to Columbia, stayed a night, and I went on down to Hilton Head and Savannah and then back to Hilton Head and then to Camden and then back to Columbia. And then this morning I was in Columbia uh, at um, an elder of First President's house and I woke up and I started getting a shower and then I, I got my clothes and my shirt hanging there and I took my shirt off the hanger and there was no pants underneath and I always have my pants underneath my shirt and so I'm like, okay, where, where is it? Maybe it's in my car and it was not in my car. It's six o'clock and it's uh, Columbia and, you know, men's warehouse is not open at six o'clock on Sunday morning. So I'm like, um, I wonder how informal they are. <laughs> shorts because <laughs> I didn't even have long pants it was like uh so I tried uh, the elders uh, pants on and they didn't fit um and then uh so I'm in some Walmart pants and they feel great it's okay there I had to get the really big waisted ones to fit everywhere else but that's okay so interesting uh you can kind of plug that in and thought oh no what the world will I do um and and yesterday I actually thought I better make sure I have everything yet shoes socks you know all the T-shirts, all that, check, check everything off. But uh, I didn't actually look for the pants there. I don't know where that's going, but that, that's my introduction for, uh, for being here. I always make it, I've been here uh, three different occasions, four actually. I came once uh, uh, to meet before we came and brought our first mission trip from RUF. And then uh, one year, some of you folks who work at VBS will know that we had about eight of our students stay here while some of our students went uh, to three crosses to, to work. But I've always been here on VBS uh, week. So it's interesting, I come in and I'm like, oh, okay, it uh, feels like, really feels like home, you know, uh, with all the boats and water and mountains and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I feel right at home. So thank you guys for having me. Um, I, I don't, I preach it a lot of times. Last year I preached 44 out of 52 Sundays, which is uh, a lot and probably more than I should sometimes, but I love it. And I preach a lot of times at the same places. And um, I don't like to just hit like one little sermon here and then go back to them and do something else. I usually just kind of start a series and stick with it for that church. And um, I I kind of decided to do that for you guys. I'm doing a four-part series. Now, this is what we'll be able to tell you. You don't have to tell me the sermon was bad. Just don't invite me back, right? And we'll know. Uh, so I only have two weeks to start, and, um, but we're going to spend four weeks uh, on the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Well, two weeks. Two weeks, and then four eventually if John Mark and you guys say, you can bring him back for the last two. So anyway, that's the plan. And uh, they're, they're pretty much where you can stand alone too. But it's interesting as a, a traveling pastor preacher, you don't get to like carry somebody through a text so often and you start in the middle of books. And when you start in the middle of books or middle of chapters, well, you miss context. And so I'm going to go all the way back to John 1. Uh, before we get to John 3. So you ready for that? Thankfully, we're not in John 17. Can you imagine having to go through 16 chapters of review? Um, we would be here all day. VBS might not even get started on time. But um, anyway, let's, uh, let's pray first, and, and then we'll read God's Word and then introduce uh, like the first chapter of John all the way until where our text is in John end of chapter 2. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that we've already sang And now we pray that you would give your word success. Father, we thank you that you send your word. You send it like the rain and like the snow, and it comes down from heaven, from your mouth and from your hands, and you give it to us. And Father, it it, it gives us nutrition. Father, it waters the earth, and it makes it bare, and it makes it sprout. 
Father, it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, and it provides the provisions that we need, and it, it does what you intended for do, to do. Father, we thank you that um, as we pray, we can claim the promise that it will have success because your word says that as it goes forth from your mouth, it will not t- return to you without succeeding in the manner and the matter for which you sent it. And so, Father, we thank you today that no matter all the, um, Father, the, the shortcomings and sin that, that this speaker has, Father, no, no matter how much uh, this person is a, a crooked stick, your word will have success. And, Father, I pray that it would have success in the heart of your people and that it would turn those whose hearts are not yours toward our Savior. We ask these things for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read uh, the passage before us, and then I'll uh, start in John 1 and get you up to where we are in, in the text. I'm going to read uh, only through verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. That's how far we'll get today. And so for time's sake, I'll, I'll read only that portion for today. I'm going to read it out of the ESV, which is what's going to be on the uh, overhead. But in my notes, I have it in the NASB. So if you start like, oh, wait, uh, maybe, you know, and if I stumble over a couple of words, it's because I'm pretty familiar with the text in the NASB. So um, John 2, 23 through 3, chapter 3, verse 7. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can uh, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains and abides and stands forever. And that's good news. We go to school, and my college students go to school, and they hear stuff that uh, they're going to have, they're going to forget. And you know what? They probably won't need a lot of that stuff later. But when you hear the word of God and you study and meditate and 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 ponder it and memorize it, it's it's good forever. Um, and not even just here. After you pass away, you're going to know the Lord more and be able to see. Uh, all the things that you've seen and promised fulfilled. And so uh, I, would, I would just encourage you to give yourselves to the reading and study of God's Word over and over and over and over anything else you give yourselves to, uh, to do that. Um, chapter 1 of John. Uh, it talks about in the beginning was God and, or, and was Christ. And we see that uh, Jesus and Christ were together in the beginning. And that, it starts the first 18 verses are a, a, really a, a prologue for the whole book. And you can't study the, the Gospel of John without coming back to the first 18 verses over and over and over again. So if you're doing a, a study on John or any parts of John, uh, make sure that you have those first 18 verses as your foundation. It gives kind of a groundwork for all the other things. In verse uh, 19 on, of the last part of the chapter 1, it's Jesus um, starting to pick his team to, to do his um, his 
winning the world, basically. And so he starts off in verse 19 of chapter 1. He's going and he's picking his disciples, and he ends up picking people that you and I probably wouldn't choose. You know, let's say he was playing basketball, and instead of like LeBron James, he picks you or me. And it's like, what? Um, maybe on the next pick, he'll, you know, pick Curry or somebody. But no, he picks another, like John Mark. Probably pretty good, but not quite the level of LeBron. And so he's picking these people, and you're like, I don't get this. And he's just said that in the first 18 verses that this is Jesus. He's coming. He's the promised one, the coming Messiah. He's now here. And he starts his public ministry in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, he starts his public ministry at a, at a wedding. And you guys may know the first miracle that he does. He turns water into wine at a wedding. And uh, at the end of that um, chapter is where we pick up in verse 23. Um, but in chapter 3, just to kind of give you the next two chapters, what it is, he's he starts his ministry, and then in chapter 3, he uh, takes his ministry to the Jews and to the leader of the Jews, to the Jewish people, to Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee. In the very next chapter, though, it's the woman at the well, a Samaritan. And so we see just in the first four chapters that Jesus Christ has come as the promised Messiah, promised for his people, the Israelites and the Jews, also for the Gentiles to bring them and draw them in and engraft them into his people. Uh, and, and we're going to pick it up at the end of uh, chapter 2. I'm going to read a, a couple of verses there. It says this, And now when Jesus again was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast many believed in his name, observing the signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, because he, knew, he himself knew what was in man. I used to live in Thailand. The first two introductions during the little introduction time, they mentioned Bangkok and Thailand, and I was like, uh, uh wh- why? And I saw that oh, my biography was in the, in the little thing here, so it said, okay, okay, that's why you know. Um, but I traveled over to Asia countries a lot for a lot of years, and uh, working with a company called Graco Children's Products. If you've had kids, you've probably had a, one of our products in your home. Uh, strollers and walkers and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting, in the Asia culture, they don't like to talk about death. And they don't like to talk about sicknesses that lead up to death. They, they talk about being sick, but they won't talk about what they have. A lot of times, and particularly in the Japanese culture, if you're familiar with that, uh, they'll do surgeries on people, and the people will go in, and you go and, and meet them before their surgery to pray with them, and like, well, you know, what are, you, what are they going to be doing? We're like, I don't, not sure. And the doctors, a lot of times, don't tell the patients what's going on. And they'll come out of the surgery, and they'll be missing a part of a limb or a mastectomy or something, and they're like, oh, that was what was wrong with me. They don't like to talk about death. Well, what, what, we wanna, what, that, what we're getting at is what you don't know can hurt you, right? What you don't know can kill you. And that's what Jesus is saying. I know what's in the heart of man. I know what man needs. And we'll see the Nicodemus, he didn't know what he really needed. And these people that were believing in him for all the miracles that he was doing, they didn't know what they really needed. And he uses this vow language like we use in marriages. He said that the people were believing in me, but, but he, on his part, he was not entrusting himself to them. He wasn't giving himself to them. Like in a marriage, you give yourself to the other person, and they give themselves to you. Um, and it, this is, the people are coming in like, we believe, we believe in the miracles that you're doing and all that. And Jesus says, well, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you in. And I can imagine at that point, well, he's just gathered all these disciples to be fishers of men, right? And they're, they're developing, they're like going out in the ministry, and they're trying to, the, to win the world. And I can imagine the ones he's gathered, the, 
um, the disciples are probably like, hey, Jesus, um, these people are believing in your name. <laughs> these are the people that are actually responding to your ministry. What are you doing? Um, kind of just leaving them out. And Jesus knew that they were coming to Jesus not for Jesus and not for what their heart and soul really needed. They were coming to Jesus for all the miracles. They were coming to Jesus for the food, right? We have that a little bit later when Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000 and then he goes across the, the water and they come and follow him and he said, you're just coming to me to get food. You're not coming to me to get the food that you need for your soul, which is me, you're coming for the things that I, I'm doing for you, not for me. And so often, as, even as believers, we come to Jesus and we, we try to come to him and live life so that we can have other things fall in place. So we can have that girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, or you know, we, we come to Jesus and spend more time in his word so our kids will be more obedient, so we get more things, and then that doesn't happen. And so often I hear the words like, I tried that and it doesn't work. I tried prayer, or I tried following Jesus, or I tried studying and my, the Bible, and it didn't work. I'm like, didn't work for what? And when you start answering that question, it's like, oh, were you doing that for Jesus to get him and his friendship and his communion with him and union with him? Or were you, doing, were you, were you seeking those things in order to get what Jesus could bring you, a happier life or, you know, a better situation? And that's what was happening here. Jesus is like, no, I know these people need a relationship with me and communion with me. They need me. They don't just need the things that I can give them. Uh, by the miracles. And that's uh, what he uh, starts here. Um, What what we don't know really does hurt us. And Jesus knows the heart of man. And then it says, and by the way, you guys probably know this, but God didn't say verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. He didn't put the verse numbers and chapter numbers in our Bibles. We did that later. And I'm glad we did that because I could say like, okay, we're going to be in Psalms today. We're going to be in that section that talks about like hearts. And you're like, how am I going to ever find that? So I'm glad that man put chapters and verses so we can get to it quicker, but sometimes they fall in bad places. I think this is one of the times, because this is saying right right here, it says, Jesus knew the heart of man, and then there came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and then he shows you what he, what he says, that I know the heart of man. I know what Nicodemus needed, and he didn't really know it. He's actually illustrating that he knows the hearts of man right in the next section. So let's kind of put those together. That's why we backed up into chapter 2 a little bit. Um, okay, so let's go to chapter 3 and, um, and look at that. Jesus knew the heart of man, and then it says, he himself knew what was in man, and there, there came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, before we get into introducing Nicodemus and, and finding out who he is, let me tell you, uh, kind of lay this out. There's, there's two types of people that the world says needs Jesus. Um, one type of people are the, the bottom dwellers, the people who have nothing, the down and outers, the super depressed people that are never happy. Well, uh, they just need to get born again. You know, they need Jesus. Uh, so the ones that are really down and outers or the really low life kind of folks or the other people that need Jesus are just those that are just horrendous sinners. Like, man, they did all that. They need Jesus. And if I said that, most of you would think that you don't fall into either one of those categories, right? Most of you here would say, well, I'm not really the, like the bottom dweller. You might have areas in your life that you feel like, man, I've hit rock bottom. But you wouldn't say that you're just like a bottom dweller and a really depressive person all the time and, and all that. And you probably wouldn't say that you're like just an awful, horrible, horrendous sinner. Uh, like, man, he just needs Jesus and that kind of sinner. I do some, I sin, but 
Here's Nicodemus, and, and he's really an illustration of those people in chapter 2 that came to Jesus. That, you know, w- let's think about it. Was Nic- Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and, and it says that he was of the Pharisees. Who, was the, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the leaders, the spiritual leaders, but also really the political leaders of the day. They were really the leaders of the nation. And uh, the Pharisees um, were up against another party called the Sadducees. And, um, and so we have, you know, different political groups. So we could start, you know, using some Republican, Democratic uh, words to help illustrate. And we will. Um, and we have, I'm sure, both parties represented in here. But here's, here's what we have. We have Nicodemus, and he's of the party of the Pharisees. And the party of the Pharisees was the party of the serious. That's what Pharisees was. It was the party of the serious. What does that mean? Well, it was the party of the people who studied the Word, and they knew the Word backwards and forwards. And you know, probably their kids would have been at VBS all this week. All their kids would have been at VBS. And probably their, their wives would be leading VBS. And probably they would be here uh, at VBS, helping lead VBS. They were the people who were the most serious about the Word. And you need to know this. We need to understand this as we go and see how Jesus uh, interacts and talks to Nicodemus. We first need to know that Nicodemus was a guy that was a party of the serious. You know, he was the one in the church that you're like, that's a godly man. That's a godly woman. That person talks about the things of Christ all the time. It's a natural part of what they say. That's who Nicodemus was. And that's who Jesus is going to say, you have to start all over. You have to be born again. And he's not one that's a bottom dweller. He's also not one that's like immoral. Because he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees had like 900 additional uh, like commandments that they had to keep. They had a list of 900. And they kept them pretty well. One of them was this. One of them, it, it forbade or forbid women to look into a mirror or a body of water or anywhere where they may see the reflection on the Sabbath day, because they might look into it and they might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair, and that was doing work on the Sabbath, and that's true. That was really in there. Can you imagine? So uh, would you want your kids to hang out with uh, a Pharisee, with Nicodemus? Well, probably they wouldn't get into too much trouble, right? And so he was one of those kind of guys, and yet that's who Jesus said, you don't have what it takes. That's who, you know, Jesus looked at and, and said, you must be born again, now, when I was growing up and really all the way until the last year or so, I always thought, well, Nicodemus was seeking Christ. Here's a Pharisee that knew his, his way was wrong, and he came to Jesus at night so he could, like, be saved. But the truth is, that's nowhere in the text. Nowhere do we see that Nicodemus is asking for salvation. He doesn't come to seek salvation. Here's what, he, here's what his Nicodemus is really doing. Um, Nicodemus first comes to Jesus, and he says, we know that you're a teacher sent from God because you're doing these things, and who could do these things unless he was, you know, um, a teacher like us? And what was happening, um, we, we already said the Pharisees were like the leaders of the, of the country, and then Jesus comes on the scene, and the Pharisees are looking, and they're looking at the people that are following, like, we believe, we believe, and Jesus is doing these miracles, and he's getting a following, and that following is growing, and so the Pharisees have to step into action so they send Nicodemus and like, Nicodemus, we need to do some bipartisan work or we're going to lose all our people, right? Go talk to Jesus and say like, hey, we're all teachers here and let's not lose our followers. That's what, that's what Nicodemus was doing. He's like, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Who can do this? And then the very next verse says this. It says um, that 
this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're, you've come as a teacher sent from God. No one can do these things unless God is with him. And then Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he came at night. You know, I, I've always heard he came at night because he didn't want people to know that he wanted to be saved. But in every other place that we see Nicodemus, two other times in the book of John, he's not a timid guy. Nicodemus is not timid. He's not a timid follower of Christ. At the very end of Christ's life, he makes, makes it very clear that he's a follower of Jesus. He's not timid. It, he, didn't come, he didn't come at night because he was afraid to be seen. But uh, two things I think that this, is, this says. One is this. I do think he probably came at night because he didn't want people to think the whole Pharisees were like, oh, do you believe in Jesus too? Like the Pharisees. And the Pharisees didn't want to be seen as supporters. You know, there's probably a Democrat that says, hey, Trump, uh, I'm for you on that one, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, um, so that's what he was really doing. The second thing we have in the Gospel of John is all through the Gospel of John, this idea of light and darkness starts at the very first, light and darkness. And light was always righteousness and, um, and, a, and right relationship with the Father. And darkness was always a darkness of the soul, a darkness of sin, a separation from God. And I think what it's saying is two things. Yes, they didn't want the Pharisees or people to know that the Pharisees were like believing in Jesus. They weren't believing in Jesus, and they didn't want them to think that they were. Secondly, I think it's saying that Nicodemus came in the darkness of his soul. He came to Jesus, and he needed the light of Christ. And that's what Jesus goes on to show us in the context he says that you need to be born again. He uses these, these words, truly, truly, uh, and in the ESV it says truly, truly also. How many of you have K- KJV, King James Version? Anybody? Yeah, is it the only one you ever care? I'm just kidding. Um, the King James Version, it says verily, verily, right? I don't know about you guys. I, I use those words every day. Do you guys use those words every day? Verily, verily to your kids. I'm just kidding. You probably haven't heard, but here's what that means. Translation, listen to me, listen to me. Take note of this. Truly, truly, this is Jesus kind of taking Nicodemus' shoulders and saying, look in my face. You need to hear this. You need to be born again. And uh, what's interesting about that? It says Jesus answered Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. What's interesting, Nicodemus hadn't asked a question. There was no question. It says Jesus answered him. He answered his heart's question, his heart's need. Jesus knew the heart of Nicodemus. He knew the need. He knew the question that needed to be asked. And he went right for that. You need to be born again. And when, when we talk about the words born again in the Greek, sometimes, you know, you say in the Greek and you're like, oh, he must be smart. Um, but you can get so much in studying the, the Bible just by looking at the ESV and the NASB and the NIV and look up different translations and see how the different scholars actually translated that Greek word. And what you'll find in this particular text, it says born again or born from above, or born anew. All those words are there. So you start getting these ideas. We have to be, have a birth that's from above, not just a physical birth. We have to be changed and transformed from above. We have to be born again or anew. Our first birth is not enough. And so we get those ideas that Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you got to start all over. And Nicodemus is, is like, I, you know, that's tough. He's basically telling Nicodemus, you got nothing to offer me. Nothing. And yet we talk about who is this? Nicodemus has the most knowledge of the scriptures probably of, of anybody around. He's actually, it says, a leader of the Jews. Jesus uses that term. 
And by the way, the name Nicodemus, you know what it means? It says victor over the peoples. Nicodemus, his name means the victor over the peoples. He was a ruler of the peoples. And Jesus was saying, you don't have anything to offer to be right with me. You don't have anything to offer to be okay. And Nicodemus was like struck. And we know that he didn't get it. And he says in the next verse, is like, well, how can a man like enter to his mother's womb again and be born? He can't do that, can he? I think Nicodemus, Nicodemus was expecting Jesus to say this, I think. No, Nic- I'm not talking about that, Nicodemus. I'm just saying you need to get a little better. You know, you do some things wrong. But that's, that's what Nicodemus was expecting. And then we have, again, Jesus repeats the same thing that he said earlier. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you have to be born again from the water um, and the word. You have to be born again by the spirit and from above. And so Nicodemus was looking for a little like, yeah, you're doing pretty good. You just got to do a little bit more. And Jesus was saying, you've done nothing that, that merits being right with me. Nothing. It's kind of like, how many of you guys have ever played the game 21, basketball game 21? Let me get a show of hands just so I know how many people are going to connect with this illustration. If you don't know this illustration, you can look at the scenery and you take a little nap, I guess. I don't know. But let's imagine you're playing 21 basketball and you're playing as you and it's Steph Curry and LeBron James, uh, the three of you, you're playing 21. That doesn't seem stacked quite right. And if you know in the game of 21, you, you have to get 21 exactly. Like when you shoot a shot, it's two, and then you go and shoot foul shots, and it's one until you mess it. And, uh, but you have to get exactly 21. If you don't get 21, then you have to drop back, and some people drop all the way to zero. Some other people drop back to like 11. I don't know what your rules are. Um, but I'm the one preaching, so I can I'm, make the rules for now. Uh, so let's go. So you're playing, and, and you, get, you get to uh, 18. And uh, then you, you hit one foul shot, 19. Then you hit another foul shot, 20. And you're like, man, I'm about to take down Curry. I'm about to take down the king, right? LeBron James. And then the next one you miss. Uh-oh. There's no way to get to 21. You have to go all the way back to zero. Can you imagine that? And what Jesus is saying is an infinitely bigger scale than that. He's telling somebody that's the leader of the whole Jewish nation that's serious about his word, that's memorized most of it and probably knows it, literally probably some of it forwards and backwards, who's, who's kept the commandments, and, and he's saying you, you don't have anything. A big, you, you have nothing, a big zero. You have to be born all over again. You've got to start all over again. And, um, I, you know, Nicodemus was, was really struggling and was expecting Jesus to say, no, I'm not really saying it that extreme, but he, but he says, yeah, it really, really is that extreme. And then in verse 5 again, he, Jesus says, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. And what does that mean? I think that, that we tie it in. That's the same thing that he said in verse 3. You have to be born from above. It's, you have to be born from the water of the Word and the Spirit of God. It's not something that you can't, you can't be birthed again here. You can't do it yourself. That's what he's saying. Um, and then in verse 6, he says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. So we know that uh, dogs have puppies, right? And people have children, kids, people. And he's saying that you're born like after, and what he's getting at, and it's not in the context, I'm not in the immediate context, but what he's getting at is if you were born of man, you're a sinner, because Adam sinned. And as a sinner, you, you don't just start doing good things and memorizing some scripture. You repent and you have to be changed all over again and you, you don't have what it takes. And that's what he's saying. You know, um, 
And the, and the Pharisees, you know, Jesus is always talking about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, were, they were pretty knowledgeable about the Scripture. Jesus, so many times, you know, we, we have this terrible negative opinion of the Pharisees because Jesus is talking to them and rebuking them all the time. But the Pharisees, Jesus says that you have good doctrine. They believed in eternal life. They believed in the resurrection of the body. Uh, They they believed in in so many things that were true. I mean, they had better beliefs than most people. So he praises them for that. But here's the one thing that he doesn't praise them for over and over and over in Scripture. He says, I have this against you, that you externalize your religion. You externalize your relationship with me, and you make it all about the outward appearance, and it's not a matter of the heart. I have a lot of verses that talk about that here, but, um, you know, Jesus and, and Mark and, and Matthew both um, says the same thing. It's like, with your lips you praise me, but your heart is far from me. And so he's telling Nicodemus, you, you can look good on the outside, you can look really, really good on the outside. You can look like a leader of the nation, you can look like a serious studier of the word, you can attend church, you can go to VBS, you can do all these things for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus had done that for a lot of years. And, and Nicodemus looks, and Jesus looks at Nicodemus and, he's, and he takes him and he says, you need to be born again. You need my work in your life, not just your work. You can't do enough. And, you know, it's so often as Christians that we really do trust him and we, we go to him knowing we don't have anything to offer, but then we live a different life. You know, we feel like, well, if I go to church enough or do this enough, I'm right with God, and we miss the whole relationship thing. Uh, we, we miss relating to God and being friends of Jesus and communing with him and having union with him. Now, when Jesus says, you must be born again, he's not telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, do whatever ever you can to be born again. Do whatever it takes. Just, you know, focus on being born again. Matter of fact, he's not saying that at all. He's saying you need to give up all the efforts because you can't do it. You've never been able to and you never will be able to. He's saying I want you to give up those efforts. And when he says be born again, he's saying I want you to be born from above, a a work that you can't do, a work that only I can do and the Father and the Spirit can do. Um, Now, let let me ask you this. Non-Christian, if there's non-Christians that are here, are you a bottom dweller? Are you really depressed? Are you really struggling in life, making sense of things? Then you need Jesus. You need to be born again. And are are you here and you're one of those that are really just super immoral and people look at your life and they're like, man, they need to get saved. Are you one of those people? Well, then you need Jesus. But for all the rest of you who probably don't put yourself in either one of those categories, even though you might be in one of those categories, you still need Jesus. And what I want you to hear is, is not this condemnation, like do whatever it takes to be born again. I want you to hear this as Jesus meant it for Nicodemus as an invitation. Jesus was inviting Nicodemus, come to me and be saved. He wasn't saying, Nicodemus, start doing more. You need 901 commandments. You missed that one. No. He was like, you need to stop trying to relate to me by keeping the commandments and start relating to me because I've kept them all for you. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't want just lip praise. I want your heart. You know, I want that kind of relationship. I don't want you to just be a son or a daughter by name. I want you to be a son and a daughter by relationship. You know what that means. You know what that feels like. You guys have sons and daughters and moms and dads that you say they're my mom and dad, 
But then sometimes you see that there's no real relationship there like a mom and dad. Jesus is saying, I want that kind of relationship. And the only way it's going to ever happen is if you, if you take what I've done for you instead of you trying to do more on your own. Um, so non-Christian, see that as an invitation for Christ. Come to him. Receive what he's done, not what you can do and keep doing better. Uh, Christian friend, um, you, you're called to see, uh, is, is your calling an election sure? I mean, can you imagine somebody that's served the Lord in the church? I mean, this is somebody that's been an elder, a ruling elder, a teaching elder for years and years and years and years. That's the type of person he's talking to, and he's like, you need to, be, you need to meet Jesus. You need to be born again. You need my work in your life and not just your work all these years. You need a real relationship, a heart relationship with me, you know, not just doing things, but, you know, interacting with me as a son and a daughter of the king. Um, make your election sure. Um, the scriptures everywhere says that the poor are the ones that understand first. The ones who really know their condition of their heart, they're the ones that get it. They're the ones that understand they don't have what it takes. Um, and non-Christian, turn to him today to be saved. And, and Christian, um, turn to him. And you might have been the party of the serious for so many years, but do away with all your doings and turn to Jesus and say, thank you, Lord. You know, thank you for, for coming and and keeping all the commandments, even the little ones that, that I couldn't keep and missed uh, when I was thinking through the list or whatever. So that's the first section today. I, we're going to continue on next week, and with that, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories. Um, Lord, you have a number of, of direct um, dialogue and with people in the book of John, and this is the first one. And Father, it teaches us a, a lot. Uh, Father, today, even those of us who know Christ, who've walked with you for years and years and years, I pray that we would turn and, and think and, and consider all the ways that we act more like a Pharisee than, than we do um, uh, the, the, the tax collector. Father, we act like more of the one that deserves something from your hands because we've been in church and we hadn't done bad things or as bad as other people. And yet, Father, we need to be born all over again. We need a new start. We're, we're big zeros without Christ. But Father, I, I thank you that the same text that convicts us so deeply is also a text that's so moving and such an encouraging invitation to come to Christ. And Father, if we come to you that you save and redeem us and you have a relationship with us by your grace alone. So Father, today I pray for those non-Christians that may be in the hearing of your word. Would your word have uh, action to, to move them uh, out, of, out of trying to do more and try harder and be better and to move away from doing more and trying harder and being better, to depending on the grace of Christ. And Father, then I pray that the, the love of Christ and the grace of Christ would start controlling their life and, and changing their life, not because of their, just their effort, but because of a changed heart that you give them from above. And Father, for the Christians that are here today, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't give up being serious about the things of Christ, being serious about the body of Christ and being with the body of Christ. I pray that you wouldn't, we wouldn't give up being serious about meditating and memorizing your word. But Father, I pray that we would give up depending on those things to be right with you. And that, Father, we could have a, a heart that knows that we're right to God, with God because of the things that you do only. Father, it's only by grace that we're saved. Help us to, to live in the light of that. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.